didn't our kids do great up there? Weren't they? That is really impressive. And I want to tell you, you learn the books of the Bible, even if you're old and you learn them, it really helps you in your Bible study so to, uh, to, to find things. Have you had any wow moments recently? We're getting the children's building wowed up right now, getting decorated. You're going to be really impressed with that building when you see it in the days ahead. It's, it's, going, it's a wow building. How many of you know there's been some volcano eruption in Hawaii uh, that is, uh, we'll take Jamie's word that that is a picture of that particular volcano because I wouldn't have any idea. But that looks like a big, ugly volcano, doesn't it? On the big island of Hawaii. I don't know if you saw recently, but there was li- literally a car that was engulfed with lava. And they said there was no more car after the lava got a hold. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that's a wow, isn't it? I mean, just a power of, of nature and of, um, and, and of the volcano. Well, we're going to be in Hebrews 11 tonight, where we have been as we look at uh, a way to do life and to see life that changes everything. And to me, this is the wow passage of Hebrews 11. We're going to talk about Abraham sacrificing Isaac. I mean, this is a wow passage. And, and I love studying it this week. I, I maybe in the future I'm going to preach it on Sunday morning. You'll for, have forgotten it by then anyway. So I won't have to apologize for preaching the same passage twice. But before we get into this, Hebrew, if you've got a Bible, find Hebrews 11 and Genesis 22 because they're parallel. Hebrews 11, G- Genesis 22. But I, I want us to do this. First, we need to understand an important principle. There's an important principle that we need to knock out, right? Right off the top, if you look in verse 17, it says, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son. Now, the, again, in Genesis 22, verse 1 and 2, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. This is uh, one of the odd and difficult passages in the Bible, if it's not understood properly. It refers to to Isaac as Abraham's only son. He wasn't his only son. So what did it mean there? Probably a better translation, it was his unique son, because Abraham was the only son of Sarah. I mean, Isaac was the only son of Abraham and Sarah, and he was the son of the promise that that the, the great nation and spiritually Christians, and that Jesus Christ was coming through. So that's what it means by the the unique or only son there. The Jewish people consider this, and and rightly so, probably the the pivotal point of the Old Testament as far as the faith. They had a special name for this called the akkad. This is the akkad, which means the tying up or binding where Abraham ties up his son and he's fixing to sacrifice him. I thought about this this, this week. That my parents, when I was 14, and we don't really know how old Isaac was, my parents would not have had much of difficulty of sacrificing me on the altar if God would have called them. Some of you agree with that. I've heard the old saying that, that grandkids are God's reward for us not killing our own children, and there could be truth, uh, truth to that. But let me tell you this. This is very important. God... I'm going to spoil the story for some of you who don't know it. God's not calling him to kill his son. He's testing him. 
Because you look at this, and this is not, this is not the God of Christianity and the God of the Bible when you see it. Uh, if you, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 31, very interesting, years, years and years and years later, Here's what God says. They have built pagan shrines at Tobiah in the garbage dump in the valley of Ben-Hanam. And there they burn their sons and daughters in the fire. I have never commanded such a horrible deed. Listen to what God says. It never even crossed my mind to command such a thing. Now, if you're taking notes, you want to look it up later. It's interesting. Jeremiah 19.5, 19.5, and 3235. Jeremiah 3235 say the same thing. So it's like God really wanted to reiterate this. When I first went to graduate school, I worked part-time for a guy before I got my first pastor, and he was a peculiar person, and he was a Christian. That's, that's not necessarily what made him peculiar, but he was peculiar as a Christian. And I remember one day we were riding somewhere, and he told me, he said, if God tells me to kill my best friend, I'm going to do it. He was 45, I was 23, but I remember looking at, I said, God's not going to call you to do that. That contradicts the Bible. So it's important, I think an important principle to understand that God's testing him. God's not going to have him do this. And it would never be God's will for you to pull some kind of stunt or anybody to say they're going to sacrifice or kill somebody in the name of God. Get that? Probably important, okay? But here, let's get to the hard stuff. Now, we've, we've had a disclaimer. God's always calling you to put Him above everything else. No disclaimer. One of the things this passage is teaching is that God demands to be number one in your life. Verse 17, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice. He was ready to sacrifice his son. And again, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, it says, Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. God was not going to literally call him to do that, but let me tell you what God was literally telling him to do. I want to see, I'm testing you, I want to see if I'm number one in your life, Abraham. Abraham, you've had a lot of tests, you've had a lot of trials. I made you leave mom and daddy when you were a senior adult. I made you move a long way from your family and your friends. I've, I've, I've tried you over and over. This is the ultimate test. I've given you one son through through. Sarah, as an elderly man, I've told you this is going to be the son that's going to make you famous and that what's going to come through this son you can't even imagine. And now I want to see if I'm more important to you than even that son. I don't know about you, but this bothers me a lot more than the first thing I mentioned to you. Where's God ranking your life? God above your family, God above your friends, I, not, not, let's don't play lip service. I mean, I'm a preacher. I heard all the spiritual garbage lip service, my whole ministry. Let's be real. Is it fleshing out in your life? So he didn't call, he didn't call Abraham to say, amen. In a meeting, he said, take your son, bind him up and kill him. Your, your life's going to show me, your obedience is going to show me if I'm number one. Not the smoke you blow, but the life that you live. It's God number one to you. What is the barrier in your life? It may have been that 
God saw Isaac was maybe the thing that was possibly in between Abraham and God. He said, you're going to sacrifice him. Is it your kids? Is it your job? A lot of men, especially, they can be women too. It's job, money. Man, I love sports, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you there's going to be a reckoning someday the way we're putting sports above God. We got a lot of excuses, I understand. Your grades, your academics. Here's the biggest bear for a lot of us. S, you write this down, S-E-L-F. In the Greek, that means you. See, some of us, <laughs> we can get rid of our family or, or whatever. It's us that are in the way of God. Family's a pretty big deal, though, isn't it? A pastor friend of mine years ago started pastoring his first church, and I'd, I'd already had some of these experiences. And he said, Chris, he'd grown up in a big church. He said, I've never seen this before. He said, we'll have a, a business meeting. There are 30 people there. We'll have meetings. We'll be making decisions. And, and of course, three-fourths of the people are related to each other. And he said, you, you show what the Bible says, and you say, this, we're going to pray about it, and then we come back. And that, what they're going, they're going to vote how their grandmama's voting, or their dad's voting, or their adult children, or their parents. And he said, it shocked me, I've never seen this before, is that so many things come before God. I want to ask you this evening, has God got first place in your life? Let me read to you a quote. It's pretty tough, but it's exactly right. God must be first place in your life or he really has no place in your life. Bingo. That hurt? I've read it ten times. I was used to it. (laughs) See, God, God doesn't want to be number two. God doesn't want you, I love Jesus. God wants to be number one in your life and he won't play second fiddle. So I would ask you and I this evening, are you putting everything else above God or something else? Or are you putting God first in your life? Here's the third thing tonight, and this is, this is pretty tough. This is beginning to get to the more even to the heart of it. You're going to be tested about this. You see, we can sit in a connection group class or in a meeting and talk about loving God, but, you know, sooner or later, God's going to put feet to it for you. He's going to test you. Verse 17 and 18, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. In chapter 22 of Genesis, verse 1 again, sometime later God tested Abraham. Now, if you noticed in that passage, it uses the word test. In the Hebrew, excuse me, in Hebrews eleven seventeen, it used test. Remember, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew language. New Testament was written in Greek. What's interesting is that Hebrew and those, that Greek word are almost identical in what they mean. And this is very, 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 very important because this is, can cause you a lot of spiritual problems if you don't get it. How this word is used is the context is everything. 
the word test literally means to prove something, to try it, to see if it's real. The Hebrew word and Greek word test means that. The Hebrew word test literally meant a smell test. That you can tell something by its smell. I don't have a great smeller, but if you put turnip greens or you put ice cream under my nose, I'd get it. If you put some sweaty guy near me versus my sweet-smelling wife, I'd get it. And God, what God was, I think, saying is God's going to put you and me and Abraham to the smell test to see if we're real. Now, that same word test can be used in the Old Testament and New Testament, to tempt, to try to get you to sin. This is very important. God never, ever tempts. The Bible says God will not tempt you. God can't look at sin. God's never trying to get you to sin. But here's the deal. God and the devil are at war for you. They're at war for your soul before you're saved. They're at a war for your allegiance after you're saved. They use the same events God's trying to tonight in some of your lives to test you to see if you pass the smell test, if you're true, if you're real. And the Satan's using that same event to get you to quit and to walk away from God and to, to backslide. Does that make sense? And the tests are coming, friend. See, when God, God allowed this God allowed this for Abraham like he allows it for you and me to see if we're real or not. Scholars say, and it depends on how you cut them up, Abraham faced 10 to 12 major tests that we know in his older age. Started when he had to leave in Genesis 12, and then I think this is the culmination here. Let me tell you something that's going to scare you a little bit. You don't outgrow testing. You don't outgrow tempting. It's like... I've been a Christian now 40 years. I'm a deacon. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I can't beat the kids in Bible drills, but I'm a good Baptist who eats well. I'm past temptation and testing. Nothing can be farther from the truth. In fact, I want, to, I want to give you a warning. I don't mean to scare you. The farther you go with God, the harder the temptations and the harder the test will be. Let me throw this caveat in there. The greater the rewards will be too. Anything that you're going through that's tough and tough and tough, when you stay with it, the more God's going to bless and bless and bless. Let me ask you tonight, is God putting a, a test on you? He's going to. Billy Hanks, Jr. is a preacher and evangelist in Texas, and he was the guy that wrote the uh, Call to Joy, Call to Growth. Many of you have gone through those programs. He tells an interesting story about him and his wife that happened twice when they were young. He was a minister. He said, God began to work in both of their hearts. I want you to, to sell everything. I want you to give up your ministry, and I want you to go overseas to be foreign missionaries. So they prayed about that, and they wrestled over that. Finally, they got to the point several months later, they said, God, will do it. We're giving up everything. We're going to follow you. And he said, and God said, that was a test. I just wanted to see if you would do it. Said it happened twice over a period of about five or six years. My experience is anytime God puts me through the grinder, He makes me go through the grinder. So sometimes you may be facing something, and you, you can't tell. Only God can tell. But that God's going to push something, push you some way. And it may be just to see if you will do it. But it certainly may be for you to walk through that door and do it. I want to challenge you again and tell you this evening, 
that tests are going to come. God's going to test you to see how real you are and how true you are. Let me give you a fourth thing this evening, and I think this is so important. How do we pass these tests? Goodness gracious. You see, our friend Abraham passed it. In Genesis 22, 9 and 10, it says this, When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar, and he arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac. I don't know about you, but if my dad would have been trying to tie me to that wood, I think we would have had an issue. He would have won, but we would have had an issue. Then he tied his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Wow. Remember, he didn't have to do it. It never was God's will. He didn't know that like you and I know that. It's kind of neat. We don't know exactly where this place was, Mount Moriah. But here's what some scholars think. Uh, Let's look at, Jamie, at the picture in Jerusalem of the Temple Mount where right there is a mosque. And where that mosque sits in Jerusalem is where we believe the Holy of Holies, that's kind of the way they come in and conquer, sat right there. And they built a mosque right over the Holy of Holies. And our Jewish archaeologist God in Israel several years ago said that's where they believe Mount Moriah was. That was the Holy of Holies where it was going to be years later where Abraham went to do that. That's just a side note, but I think it is interesting. How do we pass the test? Here's four things. Live close to God all the time. Now, if I'm frank with you, I can, I can almost tell when you say that to a group of people on Wednesday night, some people are bored. Yeah, whatever is my response to you. Really? You want to you wanna pass the test? You better cuddle up to Jesus and never let go. Live close to Jesus. Don't move away. Here's the second thing. Make sure you hear God correctly. Make sure you're hearing God correctly. See, some of you tonight are hearing God say go, and God's not saying go. Some of you are hearing God say stay, and God's not saying stay. You've got to hear God correctly. We don't know the details, but I'm guessing when Abraham heard this, he said, come again. God, what did you just say? Who? Ishmael? No, Isaac. And if you're going to follow God correctly, you better make sure you hear God correctly. You know the old saying, measure twice, cut once? You don't know that saying? You need to know that saying. How many of you think that should apply to doing God's will? You measure, you plan, you think, and then you act. Very simply, you want parameters. God's never going to lead you outside the Bible. He's not going to lead you to kill your children or to kill anybody else. The Bible is your is your clear God, and it's your boundaries. You pray and listen to the Holy Spirit. And you pray and you pray and you journal. What's the Holy Spirit telling you? And then you talk to people. Let me give you a description of people you need to talk to. People who love you, who love Jesus, and who will be honest with you. You don't need somebody blowing smoke when when you need the truth. See, most of us just want a cheerleader. We don't want someone. And I, you don't need somebody who's going to beat you up. That's not going to help you. But you need somebody who loves you enough who can tell you you're going the wrong direction. It sure appears to me 
So you make sure that you're hearing God correctly. Here's the third thing. You trust God's all-loving, all-knowing nature. How in the world can we step out and obey God? How can we go through the test and follow God? You have got to trust that God is loving and that he knows everything. Genesis 22, verse 5. Man, there's some subtlety here. Stay here with the donkeys. He's talking to the men that went with him. Abraham told the servants, listen to what he says. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there. And then look, what does he say? Then I will come back because the boy's going to be dead. It's not what he says. What does he say? We will come back. You get the subtly there? Verse 7 and 8 of this same chapter. It says, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Daddy, uh, <clears throat> where is the, uh, the, we got the fire and wood. Where's the sheep for the burnt offering? Pretty good question, isn't it? Listen to what Abraham said. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, he answered. Listen, Abraham went into this thing with a lot of unanswered questions. We feel like we have to know everything before we can make a decision. God doesn't play that way. Because, one, we can't ever figure out God. God's beyond our grasp. But Abraham said, what I don't understand, I trust that God is all-knowing and all-loving. Let me give you what I told you a few weeks ago. Henry Blackaby said, man, you need to write this down. The the experiencing God, Henry Blackaby, he said, God is all-knowing. God knows The score 10 years from now, better than you remember what happened yesterday. God is all-powerful, whatever God calls you to do. He can make it happen. How can I do this? If God's in it, God can make it happen. And lastly, God is all-loving. God is not going to send you into something where he doesn't love you, care for you, and, and is thinking about the best for everybody. See, that's how you step out the big faith is you know that God knows, God loves, and God's all-powerful. See, this is hard when you have to make a decision where you're going to be separate from your family, maybe. No, God may call you to live by your family the rest of your life, and, and good for you. But he sure may not. But here's what a lot of Christians say. Man, I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it. Well, I was going to, you know, go to Africa. I was going to go to Washington or Canada, but, you know, I just, I, I, just, I just think God wants me to be by my family. Well, God may, but a lot of times all that is is a puny excuse not to follow God. Listen, th- this may sound brutal, but it's not. If God tells you to separate from some people, God loves those people too, and he's going to take care of them. And, and you'll have a better relationship with those people if you live halfway around the world in God's will than if you live next door to them out of God's will. Some of you are going to have to let your kids go at some point. God may call them to go halfway across the world, and the thing that may stop them is you and me fighting them from going. We've got to let them go. If God loves you and me and them, he's going to take care of all of us, isn't he? You've got to trust God's all-knowing, all-loving nature. And here's the fourth thing, and this is huge. We have to assume the very best about the outcome. See, we don't do that. We assume the worst, don't we? I'm not going to read them again, Jamie, but if you're taking notes, and remember in 22.5, what Abraham said, we will return. And 22.7 and 8, he said, God will provide a sheep. 
And then you go to Hebrews 11, verse 19. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. I want to tell you, this is unbelievable right here. See, we assume the worst, don't we? I read a lot. Some of you read a lot. Here's one of the things that you hear about leadership all the time. It's true. I make this mistake regularly. If people don't have enough information, they assume the worst. We, we have that tendency. If we don't have enough information, we fill in the gaps. And we fill in the gaps with worst-case scenario, don't we? My daughter feels called to go to Montana to be a Christian rancher or something. God be with you. And my heart is, I'll never see her. This is terrible. She doesn't love us. She doesn't want to be near us. Uh, we, we assume the worst, don't we? See, Abraham did just the opposite. He assumed the best. Hey, do you think God loves you? Do you, can you trust God? Then how about this? Why don't we assume the best about God? Amen. Why don't we, why don't we think through the best case scenarios? When it comes to God. That if God's calling us to do this, you know what? Man, it's probably going to be great there. It may be tough. It's going to be painful. You hate to say goodbye. But if God's calling me to do this, God is going to take care of everything back here. And God's going to, man, God has got the red carpet laid out for me up there. That was Abraham's response. That's the difference in him and us. We assume and fill in the blanks with the worst. He assumed and filled in the blanks with the best. Isn't that awesome? I've never in my life put that together till this week. We just say he lived by faith. He lived by faith. But the practical side of it, things are going through his head just like you and me. He just said, God's going to make it great. It's going to be good. It's impossible to be negative and to be a person of faith. That's why I'm just a realist. No, you're, you're, you're negative. You shouldn't be a Pollyanny and silly and not have wisdom. But it's impossible to be an Abraham and be a, a cynic. Assume the best. And lastly, I just want to share this with you. Keep passing the test. Keep passing the test. The tests are going to come. Keep passing them. They're going to get harder. Keep passing the test. In 22, 9 through 13, listen to what it says. Abraham, they arrived at the spot. God had told him. Abraham built an altar. He arranged the wood. He tied up his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham took his knife, and he was fixing to do what God had told him to do. And, and God called out. An angel called out, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know, isn't that great? Andy, that used to be one of the things we talked about. God says, now I know Abraham's heart is pure completely. You fear God. You've not withheld the most precious thing from me, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and lo and behold, there happened to be a ram in the bush. What a coincidence, right? No, it's not a coincidence. Folks, let me tell you, the stakes are super high here. The stakes are super high. You decide you want to do your own thing. You want to live by sight. You want to live by comfort. You don't want to follow God. You know what? God will let you. And your kids are going to pay, and your grandkids are going to pay, and your life's never going to be what it could be. Your effectiveness, your joy, your peace, your Christian witness are all in the balance 
of you deciding when the test come, I'm going to obey God and follow him. The stakes are so high. But let me give you a last thought in closing. And the rewards keep getting greater and greater also. You see, it was at the end of this passage in Genesis 22. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your only son, I swear by my own name, I will bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And even through your descendants, all nations, talking about Jesus, on earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. I'm not going to read this, but in Mark chapter 10, Peter asked Jesus, he said, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. In other words, you put us to the test, we, 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 we said yes. What, what's going to happen? And Jesus said, and I'm paraphrasing, anything you have left here on this earth, I'm going to return it to you a hundredfold here on this earth. And someday, you're going to walk into heaven too and get that. In other words, what God said is, the greater the test, the more you obey. Boy, it may be hard, but man, you better expect the blessings to come pouring out on you. This evening, I want to ask you, will you obey God? You're here and you're not a Christian. The very first act of obedience is surrendering your life to Jesus. You need to come tonight and give your life to Christ if you never have. Maybe you need to join the church. You can come and do that right now when we stand in a moment. You can do it after church. Christian, maybe you don't know. God, right now, you're not in the middle of a test. Personally, I'm not either. But you need to be in a position where you're saying, God, when it comes, I'm going to obey you. Get yourself ready. Some of you know. You know tonight what God's saying to you. You may have known for five years, but you know tonight. Maybe it's where you're standing. Maybe you want to come pray with a minister, pray at the altar. Here's my challenge to you. Be an Abraham. You step out and you obey God tonight. Let's stand. God leads you. You come. We'll be waiting.